0: This episode of The Mortician's Daughter is brought to you by t Financial Coaching. We all die eventually, but we're not planning on doing it tomorrow. So to get the most out of life every day, you need a plan and maybe a budget. t Financial Planning is here to give you the tools you need to keep you financially fit and having fun. Good day to all you deviant darlings out there. I am the mortician's daughter, and I'm here to serve up a monthly meditation on the macabre. So welcome to our inaugural episode. There are so many topics that I'd like to touch upon over the course of this podcast, but I'm always open to new suggestions. So don't hesitate to reach out to me online if there's something you'd like us to explore together. You can find me on Facebook at TMDShow or on Twitter at DeathGirl. And there's no I but four R's, so make sure you put the GUR in girl. Now to kick things off, I thought I should tell you a bit about myself. I'm a writer, radio show host, and media arts entrepreneur in the sunny Sonoran desert. And yes, my father was a mortician, as well as a funeral director, a coroner, an avid reader of great novels and grocery store thrillers alike, and a persistent teller of dad jokes. He passed away when I was a teenager, but his legacy has lived on. And the family's still in the industry these days, but my own interest is far more than occupational. I hold a master's degree in philosophy and religion and a penchant for reading that I acquired from my father, along with my dark hair and dark sense of humor. I'm interested in the idea of consciousness and its possible continuation or eventual cessation. I'm interested in the different ways different people approach the subject of death and the stories they tell to address their apprehensions about our final moments, as well as the beliefs they hold about what comes after. And my interest extends beyond death as a concept to a fascination with the strange and sometimes morbid in all areas of life. Perhaps this arose in me simply in response to other people's aversion, or maybe it's just because I always thought that knowing about something was better than not knowing, And that base philosophy has led me to take a long look at many unpleasant topics when others might have shied away from further study. Of course, I'm talking about parasitic worms and flesh-eating bacteria, about graveyards and ghosts and homeschooled taxidermists of the South. Basically, I want to know about it all. Well, that's enough vague information about me and my background to get us rolling. I thought we could kick things off with the stages of death, which is often mistakenly called the stages of rigor mortis. But actually, rigor mortis refers only to the stiffening of the body's limbs and is not to be confused with palomortis, liver mortis, or, of course, algomortis. But more on that to come. Back to the stages of death in their proper order. First, one must transition from living to not living, or, in other words, you have to die. Now, the line between life and death is not what one might call a clear divide, and I'm not speaking in the spiritual sense, although many would claim an indeterminate border exists there as well. Now, in past generations, most would have agreed that respiratory and cardiac arrest signifies death. In fact, that's what a coroner will use to cite time of death. But for others, death means brain dead and with good reason. Determining death can be a bit more difficult than you might expect, which has fueled human fears for generations now. In fact, an 1868 patent can attest to that. The Vester burial case safety coffin included such bells and whistles as a ladder and, yes, an actual alarm on the surface just in case one was falsely declared dead and buried while still alive. And don't start thinking that this concern about mistakenly being declared dead is just another worry of past centuries, like polio or falling victim to a curse. I mean, sure, there are no absolutes. So I realize that there are some people in this world worried about polio and curses. But I'm just saying the general podcast audience in the 21st century doesn't find these to be as worrisome as, let's say, cancer or even traffic. But in February of 2014... Mr. Walter Williams of Mississippi was declared dead by Dexter Howard, Holmes County coroner. Having no pulse, Dexter determined Walter to be most decidedly deceased and went about his paperwork before transporting Walter to Porter and Sons' funeral home in Lexington. But once at the funeral home, Walter Williams started moving around in the body bag before Porter or his sons could begin the embalming process. The only explanation Dexter Howard could offer was that a defibrillator implanted in Walter's chest jump-started his heart while he was inside the body bag. Nevertheless, Howard declared it a miracle, which is a pretty bold statement for someone who just declared a not-quite-dead-man deceased. And just for a bit of follow-up on that story, Walter Williams died again two weeks later, and Dexter Howard was once again called in to pronounce him dead. So this isn't the only instance of a person suddenly found very much alive after being declared dead. A woman in Kazan, Russia woke up screaming in an open coffin at her own funeral after purportedly dying of a heart attack. This time the woman lived only long enough to be rushed to the hospital and spent 12 minutes in an intensive care unit before she expired once again. Other stories of the dead not quite resurrected can be found all over. From a 91-year-old woman in Poland who was declared dead and woke up 11 hours later requesting pancakes. Or the 25-year-old man who woke up in a mortuary refrigerator after a vodka-fueled bender in a pub that ended in cardiac arrest. And, of course, we can't forget about the drug addict who OD'd and was declared brain-dead in 2014, only to wake up on an operating table in a New York hospital, just as the doctors were about to begin harvesting organs. Checking for a pulse is not always the best means of determining an end-of-life situation is at hand. In fact, death is now usually defined as involving the irreversible cessation of brainstem function. But there remains debate within the medical profession as to what exactly death is and what tests should be done to confirm it. The sudden, seemingly spontaneous return to life of people previously declared dead is sometimes attributed to something called Lazarus Syndrome, or the Lazarus Phenomenon. The Lazarus syndrome is defined as a delayed return of spontaneous circulation after CPR has ceased. Since the phenomenon was first named within the medical community back in 1982, there have been at least 38 cases of this occurrence reported. And we haven't even touched upon conditions that might look like death on the outside but contain life on the inside, like catalepsy or locked-in syndrome. Let's just assume our way past all of this. Let's say we know for certain, no doubt about it, that dude is dead. What comes next in the stages of death? Now, this is where we get into the aforementioned mortises. Mortems? Mortems, right. Anyway, whatever. We start with pallor mortis, which is a paleness that settles into the flesh about 15 to 20 minutes after death and is caused when the circulation in the body ceases. Gravity then causes the still blood to sink which leads us to our next stage. Liver mortis happens when the blood settles into the lower portion of the body. Now, gravity is responsible for this stage, so if your corpse is laid flat, the blood will sink to the back of your body. If you're hung upside down, like Catholics did to their own St. Paul, where St. Paul's Cathedral stands today, the blood would head toward your head. Liver mortis and post-mortem lividity both refer to the bluish color or bruise-like coloring of the flesh as the blood settles in the body. This stage usually begins 20 to 30 minutes after death, but the discoloration might not be visually apparent for the first couple of hours. So that brings us to mortis, Algor meaning cold. This is part of the second stage of death, which happens as the body temperature adjusts to its surroundings. Without that hot battery beating in your chest and keeping things charged, the body often cools. But as us desert rats know, if you die under the open sun here, your algomortis process will leave you one hot tamale depending on the time of year. So, now we've arrived at the famed rigor stage, or the stiffening of the limbs after death, when we can finally enjoy those weekend at Bernie slapstick moments with our loved ones. If we want to get specific, with some help from Wikipedia, this stage is caused by the depleting oxygen used in the making of Addison triphosphate, or ATP. ATP is essential for the breakdown of actin myosin cross bridges required for the relaxation of muscle tissue. No oxygen, no ATP, no way to break those bridges. This usually starts two to six hours following death. Side note, This information is particularly useful to the meat industry because the onset of rigor mortis can affect the tenderness of meat. Now, I didn't know that particular fact before I started this, and frankly, I'm a little grossed out. Okay, moving right along, we finally arrive at decomposition, the breakdown of organic matter. Now, no two organisms decompose in the exact same way, so there's even a branch of science that studies decomposition known as taphonomy, the word taphos being the Greek word for tomb. Decomposition is a complete process that is generally broken down into five stages of its very own invertebrate animals. Those stages are fresh, bloat, active decay, advanced decay, and dry remains. Okay. That's enough Smarty pants Science about death for today. For our strange and unusual death this week, I'll have to keep it brief. So I present to you Hans Stroninger. In 1567, Hans, burgomaster of what is now Austria, broke his neck when he tripped over his own beard. The murderous beard measured four and a half feet and was usually kept rolled up in a leather pouch, but I guess he unrolled the beard for a special occasion. And that is just the starting point of what I hope will be a very long discussion on the topic of demise. Until our next episode, please try to avoid casting yourself into that unknown abyss before we've gathered more information on the subject. I will be back with our next episode, Death by Fairy, next month. And yeah, you heard me right. Until then, my little imps and hellions, I wish you insightful dreams and otherworldly encounters. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Mortician's Daughter. And thanks to Garrett Bowers and Mark Anderson from Yabia Music and Arts, our production team. And of course, thank you to t Financial Coaching for helping us bring this project to life through their generous support. Life is change, and your best life changes fast. Getting married, having kids, paying for college, retirement. Being ready for these changes takes planning and some great budgeting too. To establish that great plan and even better budget, we could all use a little help. TH Financial Coaching is here to make sure that wherever your best life takes you, you are always ready to love the next step. TH Financial Coaching, financially fit and having fun. Three movies that scare the shit out of you. Alejandro Jodorowsky. Angsty teen dramas. Studio Ghibli. What do these things have in common? They're among the many subjects we talk about on Prize Fighting Kangaroo, a podcast about cinema and culture. Find a place and mark your own, bring an angel.